0: Hey everybody, this is Chad, the pastor of Creekside. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about running and swimming to Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I wanna ask you to do something. You'll hear this same request made at the end of my sermon, but I wanted to ask you up front. If this sermon is used by God to impact you, or if any of our sermons are used by God to impact you, will you please let us know you can do that by going to Creekside.me slash respond. That's Creekside.me slash respond. You know, every week we work really hard to create and preach sermons that will be important to people's lives. And when we're gathered, we get to see and hear feedback from people. But we don't have that privilege when sermons go online. Our sermons get listened to a lot on the internet and various platforms, but we don't get to see how god is using them we don't get to hear how god is using them very often in people's lives and we would love to be able to hear stories we'd also love to be able to follow up with people and pray with people as they move forward in their relationship with god and so please uh do me a favor especially as you hear this easter sermon and as God uses it in your life. Will you please go to Creekside.me slash respond and let us know how God has used it to impact you. That would mean the world to us. Thank you. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon helps you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody, and happy Easter. My name is Chad, and I'm the pastor of Creekside. Thanks for being with us this morning. There's this thing that's been said a lot this Easter season, and that is, it's a bummer that we can't be together in person. And I echo that sentiment. But there's this other thing that I think is really important for me to say at the onset of this sermon. Just because we can't be together in person, just because you're seeing this sermon on a screen, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to impact you in a meaningful and profound way this morning. How do I know that? Why do I believe that? Uh, a variety of reasons, but one is my own personal story. When I was four years old, my family missed church on a Sunday, which was pretty rare for us. And the following week, we had a tape of our church, uh, church's sermon from, you know, maybe the Sunday we missed. Maybe it was just an old one. I, I don't know now. It was a long time ago. And I was listening to that tape with my great-grandma. One of these, if you can remember these. I was listening to the tape of my pastor, Pastor Tom Wilson's sermon. And he got to the end and he said, if you want to be a Christian, then pray this prayer with me. And and I looked at my great-grandma and I said, I want to be a Christian. I want Jesus to come into my heart. That's how I would have said it then. And my great-grandma bowed her head with me and I prayed to accept Jesus as my savior and to give him my life. I became a Christian because of words that I heard on a tape. And while I wish that we could be together, I could preach this sermon while seeing your faces and not just staring into a camera. I believe, I know, I know that God wants to impact you today and that God can impact you today, even though, even though this is through media and not in person. And so right from the beginning here, what I want to do just to start this sermon, something that I don't always do to begin my sermons, is I just want to pray that you will believe in your heart that God wants to impact you today, And, and I want to pray that God will impact you today. And so will you, wherever you are, bow your heads with me as I pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for all the people who are watching and listening, and I ask God that you would use my words, and more importantly, your word in Scripture, the story we're going to look at this morning. I pray that you would use it to impact them, God. I pray that some people would choose, like I did as a four-year-old, God, to become Christians this morning. I pray, God, that others who are Christians, God, would be excited about you once again. And I pray for even uh, others, God, that they would choose to serve you in new and better ways because of the words that we see here, the words that they hear this morning, God. I pray that you would use me in a powerful way, Lord, as you did Pastor Tom Wilson so many years ago, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, you know, when I was four, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but but it wasn't until I was seventeen years old that I really got serious about my relationship with Him, and I'll tell you some of that story near the end of of my sermon this uh, sermon this morning, but. But here's here's the reality. And this is what my testimony says. And more importantly, the words in scripture that we're going to look at. This is what it says. It says that, that if we don't realize the finality of our failures, then we will never truly embrace Jesus the way that we should. Here's my proposition for this morning. The resurrection means that our failure is not final. And it should cause us to, stay with me, run and swim to Jesus. I know that leaves a big like, huh? What, what? is this guy crazy in, in your heads? But, but I want you to listen to this story. In John 20 verses 1 and 2, that's where it starts. Listen to this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb Jesus was killed just a few days before this. His disciples had seen him hanging on the cross. They had seen that, that, that he was dead. He was dead. He was gone. And they had lost all hope. They thought the great story of Jesus had come to an end when he was nailed to a cross, when he was crucified and, and died on that cross. And now we encounter this woman named Mary coming to the tomb and then we read this. And and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. This woman, Mary doesn't, doesn't understand at this point that Jesus, that Jesus has come back from the dead. The very thing that we are celebrating this morning, she just knows that his body is missing. And and so she goes to Peter and another disciple, but I want to stop there and just talk about Peter. Maybe you know about Peter, uh, but maybe you don't. And I think it's important to give you some of the background because the background of Peter's life really makes this moment incredible. Peter's name used to be Simon, but then he met Jesus and Jesus changed his name. He was a married man and he was a fisherman. His brother told him about Jesus, brought him to Jesus. When Jesus was just starting his ministry, Peter came to Jesus. And soon after that, Jesus called him to be uh, his disciple. And so Peter spent years following Jesus around, doing ministry with him. Peter experiences incredible things during this time. I mean, goodness, he walks on water, he sees miracles, he hears Jesus teaching and he witnesses the transfiguration where Jesus uh, divinity is revealed to just a few of the disciples. Peter was the first to call Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, what a ride Peter is on. And at the beginning of all of it, there's this incredibly telling story. This this story where where Peter and, and some of his friends and co-workers really are out on a boat and they're fishing and they're not catching any fish. And then Jesus says, flip your nets to the other side. And all of a sudden they have this incredibly miraculous, this verifiably miraculous catch of fish. And then we read in Luke 5, 8, but when Simon Peter saw that, He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And then he hangs out with Jesus for three years. And and I think that a lot of us would just guess like, well, over that time, Peter had had become something more than a sinner. But the story that the Bible tells, it seems the story even Peter tells, is that he was still a, a sinner desperate for a savior uh, on the night before jesus was killed just uh, a few days before we now encounter him on easter just uh, a few days before that the night before jesus was killed jesus predicted that peter would deny him three times and peter's response is is to pledge his undying allegiance to jesus in mark 14:29 peter says even if all fall away I will not. Peter's like, it's not going to happen, Jesus. I'm in this for the long haul. No matter what you deal with, no matter what you face, no matter what you suffer, I'm in it with you. I won't fall away. But he did. Just a little while later, Jesus is arrested. He's led to be uh, unjustly tried at the hands of some religious leaders and and, and while that trial is happening, Peter's asked three times whether he knows Jesus. And three times he denies it, even vehemently. And then a rooster crows something Jesus had predicted. And then we read, we read that Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. The net Bible says this, when Peter wept out and wept bitterly, it shows he really did not want to fail here and was deeply, deeply grieved that he had. He was deeply grieved that he had failed. And so he weeps bitterly. I've only wept bitterly a handful of times in my entire life. And I was thinking about that in preparation for this sermon what are the times where I could say that I wept bitterly what is that what does that look like in my life and uh, I can think of 3 times really uh, the first I've told all of these I think I've told about all of these in sermons before but the the first would be my last college baseball game I knew that that my baseball you know time at least in an organized way in a in a high-level way, it was over. And, and, and it was so weird because our, our last game actually got rained out. So this moment didn't take place on a baseball field. It took place in an apartment. Uh, I got a phone call saying that our last game, a game we needed to win in order to be in the playoffs, was canceled because of rain, and there was no time to extend the season. It was a particularly rainy year. And I just fell into a chair, and, and I wept bitterly because I knew that baseball was over for me. In high school, uh, my senior year, I had my first real and serious girlfriend. Uh, And near the end of my senior year, she broke up with me. I'd love to be able to tell you it was mutual, but it wasn't. She broke up with me, and I spent days weeping bitterly, because I knew that this thing, uh, this love was now done. It was over. And then I could never have it back. And then, uh, you know, most recently of these three stories, when my, when my dog died, Roy, some of you knew Roy that went to our church. He was the greatest dog that's ever lived. And, uh, and he was sick uh, for, you know, a week or two before he died. And, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. Lots of vet bills and uh, he had a swollen leg, and we thought maybe he had gotten a poison. We just didn't know what was happening. We still don't know what was happening. But all of a sudden, for really the first time in Roy's life, he tried to get away from me, and, and we figured out really quickly he was trying to find a place to die. We got him in the car, and I flew down Boones Ferry Road in North Wilsonville to get him to the emergency vet. And I they, they took him away from us and tried to work on him and came back in and said, He's dead, and I remember falling uh, in that vet clinic on the ground and, uh, and just weeping bitterly. I had uh, scabs on my knees from softball, and I was, I was bleeding all over their floor, but I didn't care because, because my heart was broken, and I wept bitterly. I think, I think that in, in these three stories, we see that the two things that most frequently cause us to, to weep Bitterly. It's failure and, and it's finality. Failure and finality make us cause us to weep bitterly. And here in this story, Peter deals with both. He has denied his Lord. Jesus, he's not only denied his Lord, but he's also denied his friend, which is something that I think we can connect with maybe better because, uh, because we've maybe done something similar. Maybe we've not been nice. Maybe we rejected somebody. I don't know. But but he denies his friend and his Lord, and there's no hope for redemption. It's completely final. He's rejected him, and now Jesus is marching towards his death. And when we encounter him in John 20, Jesus is dead. Jesus, excuse me, Peter deals with the finality of failure in this story. And it seems like all hope is lost. But now, Mary Magdalene, has gone to the tomb and the body's not there and she comes to Peter and the other disciple and listen, oh man, I love this story. Listen to what, what it says. Listen to this story as, as John 23 through 10 records. It's so Peter Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Peter and this other disciple, as soon as they hear that the body is missing, they just start running towards the tomb. They're just sprinting towards the tomb. It's like a race to get there first. The other disciple, perhaps a younger man, gets there first, but Peter gets there and does not hesitate. He goes directly into the tomb without thought. I mean, consider what he might see when he enters, a dead body, right? He he might see a slight decaying dead body, and yet he doesn't even hesitate. He, He sprints to the tomb and he walks, right? And why? Hope. I think that, that Peter runs to the tomb because of, of hope. Maybe it's just a glimmer of hope. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just an ounce of hope. Think of some other small thing. Maybe it's, it's just a little smidgen of hope, but it is hope nonetheless. What is it hope in? obviously that Jesus is alive. He is hopeful that Jesus is alive, but I think it goes beyond that for Peter and it should go beyond that for us. I think it's hope that his failure is not final and that he can be forgiven. Bishop Ryle says this, could it possibly prove running to the tomb, seeing the tomb, could it possibly prove that their deep sorrow was going to turn to Joy. Here's, here's what I wonder about some people, and it, it might be you. Why don't you want the resurrection of Jesus to be real? I mean, I know, I know this that you, just like me, just like every person watching this right now, you have regrets. You have areas in your life where you know that you have failed. You know that you have done things that are wrong and maybe even evil. And you know, you know, somewhere inside of you that, that those failures are final, that you can, that you can never be forgiven for them. They can never be made up for you did it and it happened and it's over. And so why don't you want Jesus to have risen from the dead? Because here's what we believe as Christians. We believe that God created people to be in perfect union with them. But the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they chose to reject God by sinning, by doing something that he told them not to do. And out of that, every single person, including you and me, has chosen to reject God in one way or another. And and what God could have done is he could have just wiped us out and started over and said, that failure's final. Let me do it all again. But instead, God said, you know what? What? I want to redeem these people. I want to forgive these people. I want to re enter into a relationship with them. I want there to be redemption. And so God sent his son Jesus. Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin. He lived sinlessly, he never rejected his father in heaven. And at the end of that sinless, perfect life, Jesus was brutally beaten. He was whipped, he was scourged, he was mocked, he was tortured, he was stabbed, he was killed, and he did it all for our sins. But the Bible makes something clear that if Jesus stayed dead, then we were still stuck in our failures. The process of salvation, the process of forgiveness, the process of offering us eternal life was not finished until Jesus got out of the grave. Now that's the story. Jesus came, he died, he rose again so that if we embrace him as our savior, then we get a new life. Our sins are forgiven and someday we will spend eternity in heaven with God where where we will not even think about our failures anymore. We should want that to be true. Even if you don't believe it is, you should want it to be true with all your heart. In fact, you should be running to discover whether or not there is proof for its validity. I want you to notice the difference between the other disciple and Peter here in their attitudes. Peter runs right in. The other disciple stops and he ponders and then he believes you might fall into one of those two categories. I don't know whether you'll be a person that jumps right into a relationship with Jesus or you're a person that like C.S. Lewis, for example, will will be slow in coming to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. But I hope that whether you are like the other disciple or Peter, that you will make a decision today to examine whether or not Jesus has risen from the grave If you are watching this and you're not a Christian for the sake of forgiveness, for the sake of your failure not being final, I hope and ask that you will passionately consider whether or not you should become a Christian. What follows in this story of Peter and this other disciple running to the tomb is is Jesus showing himself resurrected to his disciples. What they hoped would be true actually is true. Jesus did not stay dead. He had come back to life. He's risen. He's risen. And I hope that you will come to believe that whether in a slow time or a long or a short time, I hope that you will come to believe that. Now listen, listen to this. Because Jesus came back to life, we can, we can cling to John three sixteen, which has already been said to you this morning, but let me read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know if you'll be like Peter or the other disciple carefully examining, but I desperately hope that you will come to believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sin and you will commit your life to him. Uh, but if you already are a Christian, the story continues in the life of Peter. And, and what what we read next is actually like my favorite part of the story uh, because it's, it's just cool. I think it's just a cool part of the story. Listen to John 21, 1 through 3. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I think this is just a really interesting part of the story. It continues. This isn't the exciting part, but, uh, but it's like the disciples have nothing to do. And, and then Peter's like, hey, I'm going fishing. We're going back to kind of where they started With Jesus, I'm going fishing and they're all like, we're going to come to and, and listen to what happens next in verses four through six. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, doesn't this seem like a duplication of the story that I've already told at the beginning when Peter's first meeting Jesus there, there was a miraculous catch of fish and Peter fell down and he declared, I'm a sinner away from me, Jesus. And it's fascinating that here we see that same type of story. They can't catch fish. Jesus says, lower the nets on the right side. They do it. Then they catch a whole bunch of fish. To me, it feels like a reminder It's obviously a reminder that they are to become fishers of men. But here's what it reminds me of. That while Peter was still a sinner, just like he was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, while Jesus, while Peter was still a sinner, he now, I love this, he now had a savior. While Peter was still a sinner, he now had a savior because Jesus got out of the grave. Uh, But this is the part, this is the part that I think is so cool. Listen to this, listen to this. John 21, seven through eight. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, say it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed the boat in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards. Notice again that the other disciple is, is in some ways more spiritually perceptive than, than Peter. But Peter is the one who reacts. Peter spends most of his life reacting. And and I think that what happens here is so incredible. Peter hears that it's Jesus and he just dives in. He just right overboard, right into the sea. One translation says he cast himself into the sea. Uh, he says it's a hundred yards out. I don't think I could make it a hundred yards. Uh, many years ago, now I, uh, with my brother-in-law, decided to train for a marathon. We went from not uh, running at all to training for a marathon. It was. Uh, that, and the thing we were using to do that plan assumed that we were in pretty good shape and had been running, you know, for years and years and years before this. Uh, I'm surprised that we are not injured forevermore because of it. But the worst part of all of it, we got up to 12 and a half miles. That's where we stopped, maybe just 12. Uh, the worst part of all of it was the cross training because of, of swimming, We would get into the pool. Uh, We were roommates then. We would get into the pool at our apartment and we would swim. And I am an awful swimmer. I don't even know if I could make it a hundred yards, but Peter doesn't think about it at all. He just jumps overboard and starts swimming to Jesus. And also I would like to point out that this happens at night. He jumps into a sea at night. Definitely piranhas were beneath him. At least that's what I would have been thinking about. I mean picture the scene this guy just says hey it's it's Jesus it's the lord and Peter just whooshed right into the water and he starts swimming he can't wait to get to Jesus why I think it's simply this Peter's hope his wishful thinking that Jesus had come back from the grave has turned into excitement it's turned into excitement. Peter has gone from hoping that maybe his failure is not final to realizing that it doesn't have to be. And so he just wants to be with Jesus. Man, some of you, some of you listening, watching, have been Christians for a long time. And maybe, maybe at the beginning of your ministry, or excuse me, your, your uh, Christianity, you, you were excited about Jesus. And my guess is that, that at the beginning you were excited about Jesus because you realized that your failure no longer had to be final, but maybe you have forgotten that. And I would ask that this morning you remember through the story of Jesus, how incredible it is that Jesus got back, came back from the dead because it means that all of your sin all of the evil that you have done, all the things that you have done wrong, it means that it doesn't have to be final anymore. While Easter is a great day for some of you to say, you know what, I need to want this to be true. I should want this to be true, the resurrection. It's also a great day for some of us to be excited about Jesus again, maybe like it says here, to cast ourselves into the sea to be with Jesus to dive in, to go deep in your relationship with Christ because you realize that his resurrection means your failure does not have to be final. John 21, nine through 14, the story continues. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals There with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. Let me read that again. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and at breakfast. None of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. My big question for this passage of scripture, this story is, did Simon Peter, did Peter get back to the shore first? But uh, either way, it's a beautiful part of the story. Jesus meets his disciples' physical needs. But, but beyond that, what I love here is that, that Peter so willingly serves Jesus, Jesus says, bring me some fish that you have caught. And, and notice again, I read it twice for you. Uh, Simon gets back into the boat, probably soaking wet, right? I mean, he swam a hundred yards to be with Jesus. And then Jesus says, Hey, do this. And, and then Peter goes back to the boat where he started in this story. And he, and he starts dragging the net ashore. And just notice here that it was full of large fish, 153 large fish. That has to be super heavy. And here's, here's, oh man, I love this. What I love about it is that because Peter sees the resurrected Christ, he not only runs to the tomb, he, he not only swims to the shore, but now he also serves Jesus by pulling the net. Peter realizes that, that Peter doesn't even realize, I think Peter just desperately wants to serve Jesus because he realizes that now that he has come back to life, his failure is not final. His failure is not final. I think there's a third group of of people that are, are watching this morning. Some of you, not Christians, You should give your life to Jesus. Some of you, just not excited about Jesus. Man, be excited about Jesus. But others of you, you're just not really living for Jesus. You're not really serving Jesus. If Jesus asked you to do something that's remotely hard, you don't go out to the net, grab the 153 fish and start dragging it. You just say, ah, I'm more comfortable over here by the fire. But through the story of Peter, we are reminded that because Jesus came back from the grave, our failure is not final. And that should compel us to want to serve Jesus with all that we are and in all that we do. Peter's full reconciliation actually happens after this story. You can read it and you should read it this week in John twenty-one fifteen through 19. But here in our story, we see this incredible thing I mean, Peter is totally, totally enamored with being with Jesus because he sees that his failure is no longer final. Peter sprinted to the tomb and he swam to the shore. I think of this. I think of this this morning. We see these three things that Peter does, and I think they should be duplicated in our lives. Peter sprints and he swims and he, Uh, And he serves. He sprints, he swims, and he serves. He sprints, he swims, and he serves. I think that that we should be people who sprint to find out whether or not the resurrection is true. Or we should be people that swim to be with Jesus, to worship Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, to be excited about Jesus. And we should be people that serve Jesus. Jesus with all of our lives because his resurrection means that our failure is not final. I want to finish with a story from, from my life. Another story. I told you that I became a Christian at four years old, but, but really I didn't get serious about my relationship with Jesus until I was 17 years old. At 17 years old, I felt the need to, to confess, uh, Confess sin, really. I didn't see it that way. I actually just realized that I was not treating the girl that I was dating, uh, that I mentioned earlier, I was not treating her, acting the way that I should, given, you know, who she was and what God wanted for me and all of those things. And, and so I went to her one afternoon and, and I told her some of the, the ways that I was not honoring her, that I was not um, being a good boyfriend to her. And it was fine, no big deal. She didn't break up with me right then and there, if you're wondering. Uh, But I went home that night, and and it was like God whispered in my ear, you have not sinned against that girl. You have sinned against me. Man, I knew that. I knew that from the time I was four years old. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've known that for a really long time maybe like me, you need something different because when God whispered that into my ear, it broke me. And, and for the first time, not only did I kind of mentally believe that I was a sinner, but I felt deep in my soul, the finality of my failure. I was a wretched sinner that had rejected God in so many ways, despite how God had always taken care of me in my life. Despite all the ways that I had seen God's help and provision through the years, and there had been so many, even in that short time period of my life. Despite all of that, I had chosen to sin against him and not live for him. And when he whispered in my ear, you don't need to confess to her, you need to confess to me, it broke me. I fell, man, I fell on my knees and I cried. I wept bitterly because I knew that I was a sinner. But here is what separates my, my weeping from that of Peter's after he denied Jesus. I wept partially because I was a sinner, but I also wept because I knew the story of grace, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection for those very sins that I was mourning. And so I wept because I was a sinner, but I also wept because I was excited that I had a savior. Let me say to to you today, man, If Jesus is whispering in your ear, you're a sinner, then I hope that you will sprint to him this morning, that you this day will choose to give your life to Jesus. Because I can tell you that I have never regretted that moment when I was 17, where I said, I'm a sinner. God, thank you for saving me through Jesus. And something else happened in that moment. I became a person who who would swim to Jesus, who wanted to be with Jesus, who wanted to spend time with Jesus, who wanted to pray, who wanted to read the Bible. Things that I had never been excited about before. And I'll tell you this, out of that moment, I became a person who wanted to serve Jesus. Not long after I decided to be a pastor. In that moment, I can see all of it, all of the story of Peter. I didn't sprint literally, I actually fell to my knees, but I sprinted. I didn't swim literally, but I I wanted to be engulfed by his presence. And in that moment, I didn't serve, but I chose to serve with the rest of my life. I sprinted and I swam and I served. And I'll tell you, it's completely changed my life for the better. And so today, you, please, whether you're not a Christian, you need to become one. Whether you are a Christian, but you have not been you don't care, you haven't cared about being with Jesus. You haven't been excited about Jesus or whether you're a, a Christian who has forgotten that you need to serve Jesus make a, a decision this morning to do those things. Make a decision this morning to give your life to Jesus. Make a decision this morning to reignite your passion for Jesus. Make a decision this morning to serve Jesus, to leave sin behind, to do the things that God has called you to do. I ask this morning that you would be a person that would sprint, swim, and serve because Jesus came back from the dead when we realize that our failures don't have to be final because Jesus got out of the grave, it compels us to sprint, swim, and serve. It compels us to embrace Jesus. Let me pray that that will happen for you today. Lord Jesus, I know that that a tape, God, is still... Recording of a tape changed my life. And, and, and while the, like Peter and, you know, John 21, 15 and on, God, well, well, maybe his reconciliation wasn't complete until later. Mine, maybe mine wasn't either, God, after hearing that tape. I don't know, but you changed my life through a tape. And I'm asking God that this morning, whether people are watching in the evening, I pray, God, that you would, that you would use this video, God this live stream to impact lives. I pray that right now, like you did for me at 17, you would whisper in some people's ears and say, you are a sinner, but I have chosen to save you. And the resurrection God this morning would would allow for another person to have their failures, their sins removed. God, I pray that people listening to this sermon right now, God, I really am asking that they would give their life to you, that you would call them into Christianity and they would make that decision. They would believe and make that decision. And Lord, I pray for those who are Christians. And on this Easter, let it be a day where where they once again, God, are excited about you and choose to serve you, God, because they realize, they remember, God, that your resurrection means our failure does not have to be final. Father, you saved me. And I did not deserve it. And I know, God, that nobody watching or listening deserves your incredible grace but I pray you'd pour it out on them right now and you would make a difference in their life. Like I prayed at the beginning, impact them right now in a powerful way. God, impact them. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I, uh, on Easter, often ask for people to raise their hands if they've made a decision to, you know, to become a christian or a decision to you know be passionate about jesus again or you know all these things or serve jesus in a new way to leave sin behind and and i wish that you could you could raise your hand up in front of me and i could have prayed for you specifically but but here's what i want you to do right now Uh, please tell us tell us how god has used this sermon to impact your life today all you got to do is this. You got to go to creekside.me/respond. creekside.me slash respond. And and man, I want to know if God called you to be a Christian this morning. I want to celebrate that with you. I want to, I want to pray for you. I want to know if, if God has used this service and my sermon to, to reignite your passion for him. And and man, so tell us about that. And, And I want to know if, if you've looked at your life today and you said there's sin, there's areas where, where I need to leave sin or, or add virtue because I haven't been, I want to serve Jesus. If any of those things, if God's done any, any of those things in you today, please, I'm almost begging you, please let us know by going to creekside.me respond. That would bless us. And we would love to be able to connect with you.